Hi everyone and welcome back to the Dark Histories Podcast. Hope everybody is well. I'm Rob, your host as always. In this episode I thought I'd change the pace a little bit and bring you a collection of stories. Some you may have heard, some you may have not, but I guarantee they will chill you to the bone. The first story takes us to Europe in the 60s and the Alexander family. Pretty unremarkable I know, but when you hear the story, unremarkable it is not my dear listeners. And I warn you that you are in for some very unsettling things to come, so please listen with caution. So without further ado, please sit back and relax for more Dark History. The Lava Society was a religious cult formed in the early 1800s in Dresden, Germany. Harold Alexander had taken over the leadership of the cult after the previous leader, George Reilds, had passed away. The Lorber cult was a relatively small group of about a hundred people, and their beliefs were centred around one theory. Everything outside of the Lorber society was pure evil, influenced by Satan. After assuming the leadership of the group, Harold would give them one more dogma to abide by, that his second son, the newborn Frank, was the messiah of God. The followers dully accepted the, the new detact from their leader, so Frank, the boy, lived like a god, was revered like a god, wherever his silly demands were met without question. He had absolute autonomy over the cult and family, as the followers lined up to hear the word of God from him. As a teenager, Frank discovered sexual pleasure. He also figured that sex with someone outside of their cult was impure and a Satan's servant, and this would amount to blasphemy. Frank therefore suggested incest, forming a sexual relationship with his mother and his sister. Everyone approved of this madness without hesitation. For them, this was the word of the prophet, the will of God. This was the late 60s and the word about the family and its strange customs had just begun to spread. The Harold Alexander family understood that they were the subject of an active investigation, and they packed and shifted to the Canary Islands in Spain, but a change of place didn't mean a change of beliefs. When they finally arrived in the Canaries, they lived a private life. Nurtured and bolstered by a rare brand of fanaticism, Frank's mind was beyond control now. On the 22nd of December 1970, after 10 months of moving into Spain, Frank declared the killing hour had arrived. For Frank and the family members, the killing hour was a means to ensure their women entered heaven. They believed that women were inherently evil and that admission to heaven would be denied to them without the killing process. We don't know if this was a process out of the Lava culture or entirely a fragment of his imagination. The family's womenfolk were told to wait for the hour of killing any day as Frank deemed it fit. And when Frank figured out the right time, the women were supposed to submit and subject themselves to his attack. One day when Frank was sitting at the edge of the bed where his mother was laying, he didn't like the look his mother gave him. He felt that she wasn't permitted to look at him in that way and knew instinctively that it was time for the killing hour. Frank started to hit his mother at the back of the head. Frank continued to beat his mother who was lying upside down and Harold meanwhile started playing the organ. 
His two sisters, Petra and Marina, soon showed up and the scene of their mother being butchered made no effect on them. Harold, while playing the rhythmic notes, told them that the hour of killing had arrived. The girls knew the rules. They stood there, patiently waiting for their turn. Frank came, having finished the business with his mum, and began to beat both his sisters frantically. In a matter of a few hours, both of them were lying flat on the floor in pools of blood, the cruel ritual complete. One of the neighbours had later recounted that they might have heard some muffled moans from Harold's apartment. Still everything was drowned by the loud music of Harold's playing. As Frank finished the killing act, he fetched a knife and a pruner to cut the impure organs of the dead. It's possible that more than one among the three women was not dead at this moment. Frank wasn't a professional killer who knew the human body's weak point, but an unruly, eccentric killer who beat wherever he found fit. He couldn't have possibly pulled off a clean execution. So Frank would complete the killing by hacking the dead ladies with a kitchen knife, and then he tried to cut their breasts, nipples and vaginas to nail them to the wall. But this wasn't easy, so Frank and Harold would take it in turns to complete this part of the horrible ritual. The ritual was complete after retrieving Dagmar, his mother's heart, wrapping it in a cord and nailing it to the wall. Along with the other body part, Harold and Frank rejoiced after completing the ritual, running around and singing, having completed the ceremony and liberating the women. The father and son slept in another property they owned, ever so peaceful and proudly. Walter Trankler was a well-known doctor in local circles. He had heard a knock at his door. His housemaid, Sabine, was busy doing her chores in the kitchen, and Mr. Trankler opened the door and found two men who introduced themselves as Harold Alexander and Frank, the father and brother of Sabine. The doctor brought the 15-year-old Sabine from the kitchen and allowed the family to have a private conversation near the front door. Mr. Trankler wouldn't have wanted to overhear their chat, but the appearance of the two men had struck him. Both of them were covered in mud, clearly no way to dress up for a meeting of their family. So the doctor's instincts told him to eavesdrop on the conversation, and what he heard would have sent shudders of cold down his spine. The doctor stood motionless, unable to process the enormity of the situation. He wondered if Sabine was going to faint or scream any time now. But to his surprise, Sabine just took her father's hand, pressed it to her cheek affectionately, proving the horrific act. She said, I'm sure you have done what you think is necessary. The family then embraced each other. The doctor realised he was with a dangerous set of people who had lost all sense of right and wrong. He rushed to his room, bolted himself in, fortified the door with makeshift barricades and called the police. As the officers rushed to the doctor's house, the three family members didn't look anything like they had just killed a few of their own. The cops wondered if they had received the right tip as they asked Harold, What's going on? Without even the slightest hint of compunction, Harold retracted the incident he had told his daughter. There was no hesitation whatsoever. They would even tell the address of his apartment where his crime took place. The cops were truly bewildered by the candidness. Not knowing if it was a prank, a few officers were soon dispatched to the crime scene to determine the veracity of Harold's admission. There, the cops saw the most horrible spectacle they had ever seen in their lives. Three bodies, horribly mutilated, were laying in the apartment. 
one in the bedroom and two in the living room. It was an absolute bloodbath. Neither Frank nor Harold had to stand trial as the authorities found them mentally unfit. Both of them were sent to a psychiatric hospital. Sabine pleaded to let her go with them but she was instead sent to a convent. Nobody heard from her after that. Frank and Harold Alexander remained in the mental asylum for many years. But in 1991, 20 years since their admission into the psychiatric hospital, they managed to escape. To this day, their whereabouts are unknown. The father and son, who share a dangerous delusion, vanished into thin air. Where could Frank and Harold have possibly gone? Could the 20 years in hospital impact their mental state? I guess nobody will ever know. Our next story, I would say, is as bone-chillingly crazy as the last one. But this time, we're in Africa, more specifically Nigeria, where there is a, a black market for human body parts. The same rules apply for this story as the last by dear listeners. Discretion is advised. It starts with some missing people. In 2014, motorcycle taxi riders in Ibadan, in Oyo State, Nigeria had several of their numbers vanished without a trace. Although there was no outward evidence of any sort of foul play, there had been spotted a mysterious stranger lurking around the area at the time. And it didn't take long at all for the superstitious populace to start whispering of cultists kidnapping people for their dark rituals. This wasn't seen as an unreasonable idea here, as Nigeria was no stranger to ritualistic killings with some high-profile cases of bodies turning up missing limbs, disemboweled, or otherwise mutilated in grisly fashions, so the rumours sparked fears among the locals. Police were notified, but reportedly were uncooperative, refusing to investigate further, and saying that the men had just run off. As the disappearances continued in the area, there was still no official response until a motorcyclist riding along the Lagos Ibadan Expressway passed an area called Soka Forest, claiming that he had heard someone crying for help from the trees. On March 22, 2014, police then grudgingly went about investigating the forest where they stumbled across a macabre festival of horror. Fanning out through the area, they found a dilapidated, seemingly abandoned building tucked away amongst the trees, from which emitted a fetid smell. Upon entering the building, they were met with a charnel house of horrors and a ghastly sight of decomposing corpses which had apparently been bound with chains. As the shock police expanded their search, they began turning up other human remains in the surrounding area, many of them being butchered upon a blood-soaked butcher's table, in some cases, even still chained to the slab. There were also numerous human remains found scattered around the wilderness itself, stuffed within bushes, in nooks of trees, or unceremoniously dumped in holes in the grounds, or into caves. The corpses and remains were in various states of decomposition, many of them missing limbs or internal organs, some of them even without heads. In total, over 20 decomposed human bodies and hundreds of human skulls were found in the forest. And there was also found a building eerily full of just personal belongings of the victims, including wallets, clothes, jewellery, travel bags, footwear, 
driver's license and passport photos, even children's toys. In addition to the dead bodies and human remains, there were rescued around 15 people who were chained up in captivity, all severely malnourished, looking like skeletons, surrounded by clouds of flies, some of them in a catatonic state or barely alive. When questioned by the police, they spoke of having been kidnapped, tortured and kept in shackles with once a week feedings. In most cases, they could not identify the people who had taken them but a few claimed that the men who had kidnapped them had been government officials, or at least posing as them. Some of the victims said they had been held there in squalor and chained up for months. The general impression was that this had been going on for quite some time, and in the meantime the entire area was cordoned off and an investigation was launched to try and get to the bottom of what had happened and who the perpetrators were. Most of the bodies that were found could not be identified and this caused a bit of outrage among the locals who were looking for missing loved ones and increasingly spreading rumours that the ritualistic killings had been ordered by affluent Nigerians in high positions of power in order to harness supernatural powers. In the days after the discovery of what has been called the Ibadan Forest of Horrors, crowds of rioters angry at the lack of anything being done, seeking answers to the identity of the victims, and some even convinced that more people were trapped underground, converged on the scene, brandishing guns, clubs, machetes and bows and arrows, to the point where the police were forced to disperse them with tear gas. Police would later make several arrests in connection with the slaughter of Soka Forest, including some suspects who were policemen and security guards, but no one was ultimately charged with the murders, and the case is ongoing. It seems amazing that such an unbelievably horrific crime could have been carried out near such an urban area, in a reasonably rich nation, and yet it remains unsolved. This has sparked more speculation that officials and police were somehow involved in the ritual killings and trading human body parts that has sadly gripped many areas of Nigeria. There is much money to be made from a sale of body parts for various black magic rituals, spells, potions and although the Ibadan Forest of Horrors is an extreme case, such similar killings are actually not unheard of. In many rural areas, the belief in magic is still very strong and many poor people turn to the trade of human body parts to support their families, turning into murderers in order to serve various shamans and herbalists who very often convince them that they at the whim of the magical forces they cannot comprehend. One such young man calling himself Shodeep once worked in a capacity of a shaman named Abdidukun, killing and collecting body parts for money and food, and he says of his own experience, any time I wanted to go for kill, Baba would give me some charm and also teach me some incantation to recite so that nobody would see me at the scene of the crime. I would hit the victim with a shovel and recite the incantation immediately. I see blood coming out of the victim. Baba instructed me to always move around the victim at the scene after killing them and then turn my back on them and stay there for like that for three minutes, which I did and nobody would see me. Baba said the spirit of the victims would come to him after I'd killed them. Baba did not tell me the reason for the killings but he would buy food for me and he would give me the sum of 500 Nira after each killing I carried out for him. 
The answer as to what exactly happened here in this patch of wilderness has not been made completely clear. It is unknown just who took these people or where they went and no one has ever been officially charged with any of it. It seems to have just been written off as yet another ritual killing spree in a country where such things are rampant. It's very likely that this is where it will all end for this case and it's illustrated a very interesting trend that has gone on even into the present day in some rural areas that such superstitions and myths can gain such a foothold in an age of reason in an otherwise progressive country there seems to be some allure to the idea of black magic and dark arts that will not fade and which hides in the dark corners of the world whether any of it is real or not for the people dead and abused at the hands of their captors it is very real as it is for many of the locals these areas of whom dark magic and ritual are part of the landscape of everyday life So yeah, there you go. Not nice to listen to, really, but uh, absolutely insane nonetheless. As always, thank you for listening. If you like these sorts of episodes, where there are two, maybe three smaller stories, let me know. I'm sure I can do more episodes like this. If you want to send me an email, the address for the show is in the description below. Or send me your own stories and I can read them out in an episode. If you have ideas or topics you want to hear, please let me know there or DM me on Instagram, and I will get back to you there. As always, links to TikTok and YouTube are in the description. Both are growing quite rapidly at the minute, which is great. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to listen to more, please feel free to subscribe to the show. Share it with any of your friends or family that you may think would be interested, and please feel free to drop me a five-star review. They really do help the show no end. Anyway, thank you again for listening, and your continued support. Hopefully I will see you back here for episode 13 and more Dark History. <laughs>